Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to a video episode of Poddywood. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and joining me as always is... That'd be me, Andrew Roger Carson, joining you in the late hours here in the UK. Uh, and also joining us from over in New York, it's our regular favourite, Jonas Barnes. How you doing, buddy? How's it going, you guys? I'm doing good, man. Just got off work. Just uh, had a had a wonderful day yesterday of watching some horror for October. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing good today, man. Well, if you can't watch horror in October, then when can you? It's the perfect time to do it. I mean, listen, anybody that's not well-versed in horror already, they should always take October to really school themselves on the on the genre. Yeah. And for anyone that wants to get themselves into this genre, then there's always Hocus Pocus on Disney+. Plus. Unless you're from Texas, apparently. Like this <laughs> Texas mom who's basically said, oh, they could be throwing out loads of these subliminal spells to our children. Do not watch this movie. And it's like, I don't know what subscription to Disney Plus you're on, but I want that shit. Okay, listen, if you don't think that Disney is already indoctrinating children and they haven't been doing that since the beginning of fucking time, come on. <laughs> Hocus Pocus 2 is not going to be the one that does that. I reviewed a movie with one of my friends called The Black Cauldron. Have oh, you guys seen gosh, that yes. Ooh, we love yeah. that movie. Dude, that's a horror film. Like, that is the animated horror cartoon that Disney totally made. And me and my friend reviewed that and we're like, yo, this movie is dark. Like, you think Hocus Pocus 2 is teaching kids? No. Like, Black Cauldron and Return to Oz. Those two. Those are the oh, two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Return to those, Oz was just. So, those mm. are the Disney horror films. Yeah. That was it. That was the year Don Bluth was just like, fuck all these kids. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you're going to fire me? Well, I got secret and name in the ammo tank. <laughs> I'm going to traumatize these bastards forever. I just love that Return to Oz, they were just like, you know what, we're going to electroshock therapy Dorothy immediately. We're like, we're not, no no lube whatsoever. We're going dry into this movie, and we're just going to terrorize children immediately. And then when she gets to Oz, she has all these nightmare demons that have, like, rollerblade feet and shit. It's just like, what are you doing? This is a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It's crazy. Uh, last, last, I think it was last week, I mentioned that John Barrowman who was in Torchwood and Doctor Who and everything was uh, had a little. He was an extra in the Untouchables. Um, one of the guys that hosted a kids' TV program called Blue Peter in the UK was one of the the wheelies. Because oh yeah, dude! I, I can't remember who it was. It was someone in the early eighties, and he was coming onto the show, and he had like the the outfit, but without the main costume on. It was just kind of like the the technical aspects, like the wheel that he held onto or whatever it was that he was doing. And it was showing the kids, yeah, do this in the movie. And then you go see the movie. It's like, oh my God. How wheelies are terrifying. Yeah. Like to this day, like I know people that talk about that movie and they're like, dude, the wheelies, like every time. Yeah. Yeah. The the 80s just fucked us up. And if there's something that fucked us up even worse, it's probably the mid 90s, which kind of is the reason why we're all here today because <laughs> I threw out to you guys that there was a movie that existed in 1996 called The Day of the Warrior, an Andy Sedaris lethal ladies classic that I caught on Channel 5 TV in the late 90s and could not stop watching. And it was an all new era of incredibly bad but brilliant movie making. So I basically asked you two to go and watch this movie over the uh, last week. 
And I know Jonas had better things to do, like nearly kill yourself. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. And Steve had pretty much something like better to do, like want to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After watching Day of the Warrior with kids around. That's just wrong, Steve. That's just wrong. <laughs> I would rather change the shittiest of diapers than watch that movie anymore. Like seriously. It's it's one of those movies that as soon as it started, I was just howling with laughter. Right from hilarious. the very beginning. It, 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 it could have it could have even have gone worse as far as I was concerned. I was just I was just enjoying laughing at the sheer crappiness of it. You know, the thing about it is this movie was, um, do you guys remember, I don't know if you guys had this in the UK, but we had on the USA Network uh, in like the late 90s and mid to late 90s, they had Up All Night with Rhonda Shear. I know who Rhonda Shear is, but uh, we didn't have the show. Okay, so Up All Night with Rhonda Shear was literally a show that would start at like 1130 or so. It was usually right after WWF Raw. So like you'd have wrestling and then um, some weeks you would have La Femme Nikita, which was totally yeah. just, you know, fucking basically what this movie is just in TV form. Uh, but then sometimes you would have, I think it was like the last, I want to say it was the last week of every month. You would have Rhonda Shear show that was called up all night with Rhonda Shear. And what it was is she would come out, you know, low cut top doing like the, you know, the busty bimbo thing that she did. And she would present this movie that was usually like day of the warrior. So it was one of these movies that was just schlock and cheese and tits and guns and like just everything. And one of the stars of the movie was a pretty regular star um, in the movies on the show, uh, Julia Strain. Yes. Willow Black herself. Yeah. Okay. So in, in all the talking points about this movie, because there are so many, there are so many, and none of them are positive, really. Uh, but let, let's just get this out there. Okay. These guys are actually taking this movie seriously. <laughs> you think they so are, much, yeah. It's so much think, better for it. Do you think they are taking it seriously, though? I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. They, they have to be. They have to be, because you've got people there that were like adult film stars and, and uh, bikini models and so on, and they're coming onto this set and they're trying their best to be as serious as possible thinking, okay, this may be my big break into actual legitimate cinema. They don't know what the finished product is going to be like. And they're delivering some, like the, the guy who's playing the, I can't remember half of the bloody code names, but you meet him when he's on the plane at the beginning. Is this the guy who is the uh, rare mix of Tom Cruise from Top Gun mixed with Lenny Von Dolan? Yeah, <laughs> with, a, with a sprinkling of David Duchovny in there as well. Yes, he's so bad. He's so bad. And it looks like they've just plucked him straight out of a modeling academy because he looks relatively decent in terms of a chisel jaw. They haven't bothered to check and see whether or not he's got any kind of skills in terms of, you know, measuring a performance or understanding the role or in any way being able to adopt the Stanislavski technique. No, they got it because he looks like an action hero or some bizarre way he looks like one of those dudes that would be cast in like a gi joe movie but it would be one of the gi joes that you forgot existed that just hangs out in the background <laughs> and shoots a gun every now and then it's like you're you know what i mean like you're too busy paying attention to like duke and baroness and shit then there's just some random dude in the background that's just like oh, i killed a cobra yay you know like he looks like one of those dudes like be like i i believe he might be a gi joe i believe that 
It might be one of those later models that came out where it's obviously all of the extra parts were left over in the factory and they were like, we're going to make this super soldier out of all of this random shit that we can find. Actually, that movie was called Universal Soldier and it's an entire <laughs> franchise. Yes. <laughs> uh, however, those toys were made just before uh, Street Fighter the movie was made as well. <laughs> oh, God. We, we're going to uh, seek into every other movie. Yeah. But let's <clears throat> just say here... The first thing that jumped to mind when I was watching this movie happens within the first couple of minutes where your basic Flash Gordon knockoff, <laughs> Doc, whatever his name is, uh, drives a jeep into a forest, a white jeep into a forest to find a villain's lair, and he parks it practically about 10 steps away from the lair behind one bush. It's the fact that that jeep's <laughs> supposed to be in the middle of Texas as well. Yeah. And not only that, the villain's lair is basically four pieces of wood propped up against each other. It's a shed! Well, sure. <laughs> it's not even a shed, dude. It's like that plywood that you just find. Nobody knows where you buy that plywood. You just find it in dumps. Like, that's all mm. it is. It's a weird plywood that has, like, the writing and shit on the side. You're like, I think a contractor uses this. I'm not sure. I don't even know where they get this. It's like it's one of those Home Depot things where like you go to like the deepest, darkest corner, the beyond section of Home Depot, and you find that <laughs> shitty plywood that's like, don't buy this. It's like a dollar a square foot. It's terrible. Like, just don't <laughs> buy it at all. They're like, no, dude, we're gonna make a villain lair out of it. It's gonna be fucking sweet. Yeah. It's when uh, he actually kicks him through it, and this is the floppiest like wood you have ever seen, but it manages to knock this guy out. And the slow-mo of him going through that just makes it so perfect. It's the uh, it's the IKEA version of, of a villain's lair. It's the discount version that just it has no stability whatsoever. Also... Sorry, I was gonna ahead. say, considering how flimsy the whole thing is, it explodes really nicely when he decides that he wants to put the damn thing up <laughs> about thing, ten seconds this, later. This thing was coated in about 50 cans of nitrous oxide. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this 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 scene specifically, like the exploding villain shed, it reminds me of um, when a Michael Bay movie throws in explosions that shouldn't explode. You know what I mean? Mm. Like there was a there was a movie he did on Netflix called Six Underground, which oh, yeah. is if you could if you could put a blueprint of a Michael Bay movie, it would be Six Underground. Like there's a dude that sprints down the side of a building when he's not attached to like a rope or anything like he just fucking sprints down the side of this building it's like all right but he drove a car he drove a car into a fruit stand and the fruit stand exploded into sparks and the car was just fine like so i'm looking at it going like was this like were they selling apples and explosives like what is going on here why are there that and that's what happened with this villain shed too it's just like how much shit did you have in there to make it explode like that? All he had was a wooden table <laughs> and a whip. Right. Where did you hide it? Where did you hide the stuff? <laughs> and I but do yeah. love the bush. I love the fact that they put a bush there in front of that Jeep just to like, that's where I like, I don't know if they were fully taking the movie seriously because they were just like, we're going to put this bush here. We got to try. Like we got to try yeah. to make this look like he's trying to hide the jeep behind something like a shrub we're gonna put a shrub yeah I, I was kind of amazed at the fact that he goes to the back and starts taking out these guns and loading them 
for what feels like 10 minutes. <laughs> and he doesn't use any of them he either. Use, he uses the dart gun, which gives the absolute trademarked dart gun slap and yeah. to the left. Yeah, if, if, if anyone doesn't know what I mean, this is what it's like. It's like, ah! It's that. It's holding it in between your fingers. Oh, those dart guns, yes. Yeah. The ones that you always, the ones that kids would buy. Yes. Where you have to like, and they didn't, they weren't even sharp. They just had a dull edge to them. Like, and yeah, they were, they were like toys. We, we're kind of stepping over the fact that the, the very, that is, that is the second scene though with the movie. The first scene is basically boobs. <laughs> okay. Well, we, well listen, we to if you're going to, if you're going to start a movie like this, you're going to start this movie. Yeah. You got to grease everybody up with some titties in the beginning, because if you don't, they're not going to sit through the rest of the movie. They're going to tune out immediately if you don't give them something in the, like, because, listen, everybody likes boobs. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's straight, gay, male, female, either. Like, it doesn't matter. Trans, like all of them, every single person in the world cheers when tits come on the screen. It does every time you put those in the beginning. They're going to sit for the rest of the movie and be like, when are those coming back? <laughs> Yeah, but it was the following shot where after going from the, the the woman in the incredibly low cut dress to then go see her That'd boss. Ta- Tiger, played <laughs> by Shay Marks. Tiger is trying. <laughs> she is trying, out. bless her. She is really trying her best working in the very subtly labeled computer room. Oh, <laughs> she, sit, she basically sits in there typing stuff onto... I don't ever remember any computer screen ever looking like that in my growing up. But then she walks into the room of Julie Strain and her regular office attire while working on a skiing machine is amazing. It's it's a leopard print leotard. (laughs) Well, yeah. Isn't that how you guys sit in the office? Mm. Just strapped on the le- the leopard print leotard. Listen, Julia Strain is I love her because she like she'll fucking do anything. Well, she like when she was when she was making movies, she was down to do anything. Whether it was one of these types of movies, or whether it was Vampirella, or whether it was a Skinamax oh, yeah. movie, or whether it was just whatever. Like she didn't give a fuck. She'll do anything. And this movie is right up her alley. It's cheesy. And it's like cheesy is, is an understatement. This movie is like cheese to the, it's one of those movies. Like I know it came out in 96. It does not feel like it came out in 96. No, no. This feels like an eighties cheesy movie, like at best, you know what I mean? Yeah. I noticed that Julie Strange spends a good amount of this movie, just growling at people. I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I'm <laughs> I was 100%. Is she going to turn into the She-Hulk at any point in this? Because the build is there. She's got the hair. And she's got probably about the acting ability of She-Hulk. Okay, so listen, that's the thing about Julia Strain. Like, I know I just talked up her praises and everything because she'll do whatever the fuck she wants. But an actress, she is not. (laughs) She, like... And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way whatsoever. I think that she always knew what her wheelhouse was and it was not, it was not deep philosophical acting. It was not that at all. Um, She looks like she got shot in the face with pomade 
and her hair just <laughs> stuck that way for her entire career. Like it just was like that's this is just what I'm gonna look like forever. <laughs> just what it's gonna be. Before we we kind of get into this, is can either of you take a wild stab in the dark? about what the plot of this movie is because <laughs> 10 minutes chance. in I'd already forgotten what the plot was. <laughs> no. It was basically Mission Impossible with boobs. It's very rude to Mission Impossible to say that because this movie was not even it was not even the same. But yeah, also you're kind of <laughs> right. It, it it was it was about spies that um that have been compromised and someone who definitely wasn't a bad guy at any single point in the film and wasn't in any way obvious that he was going to turn out to be the bad guy, stole Yeah. Okay, okay, so this movie this movie plot-wise actually feels like it was one of those movies that was made like for Skinamax in the 90s, yeah. where they took like kind of like the Asylum does with blockbusters and they make mockbusters. Skinamax would make movies out of shows and they would just put it like a sexy name. So like this would be the double D team instead of the A team, you know, like it's something like that. Like it would be that type of shit instead of mash. It would be smash. You know what I mean? Like just that's kind of what this movie felt like. It felt like a military like glambo. It would be glambo. Like, <laughs> yeah, something like that. I, I, it does feel like a softcore porn film with a little bit more budget and far less porn. It, it does. It has that same feel like and that's and I'm not saying that necessarily as a bad thing, because if you're going to make a movie on a smaller budget, because it's definitely a small budget movie, if you're going to make a movie on a smaller budget, especially one that's action heavy and stuff like that, you can do a lot worse aesthetically than looking like, uh, you know, a Skinamax Midnight movie, because to give credit where credit's due, even though they were like softcore porn films during those times like they put attention to them like they made the set pieces look at least decent you know like they actually gave somewhat of a shit about it whereas this movie it's like half and half sometimes you're like oh they care and then the other half you're like oh i don't give a shit at all all right okay kind of getting in here we have the character of cobra played by julie k smith and i'm gonna go on the record here back in the day and around this time i thought julie k smith was one of the most beautiful women in the world and uh i've recently friends of her on facebook so if she sees this episode she's probably not going to be friends with me for too much longer but she was the greatest thing in there but i do have to admit the opening andrew real quick do you really think that she feels very precious about this movie like really honestly i feel like if she watched this episode she'd be like you know what they're kind of (laughs) right bro we we can only hope uh but i'm dying to ask her straight off her opening number, she's dancing in this SM gear on a pole with a dance that seems like it was choreographed by the 1970s TV Spider-Man. Mm. Well, that's a I'm, good way of putting it. You see, the version that yeah, I watched, because Andy said that this movie is available for free on YouTube. So I went onto YouTube and I saw it. And there's a couple of there's a couple of very, very weird edits that seem to pop up. But we'll get into that a bit later. But for me... It's because the YouTube version is not the uncut version, just so you well, know. Yeah, but this this thing went even further than that. And it, it it's just like it had the credits. And then she was just there and just went, Cobra. And then it went to like the, yeah. the, the office scene. That's 
who who does that just goes cobra by the way did you know that that scene right there is actually better than the entire version of the cobra commander in the gi joe movie that joseph gordon levitt played <laughs> like that scene right there is better i don't know i don't know who the fuck made that decision to make him look like a burn victim darth vader during that movie <laughs> but this is better like it's insane that is darth vader though i mean kind of yeah, I mean the the thing about this movie it, it it throws out so many new characters. You have no idea what side they're working or who they're working for. Uh, we're not going to be able to get out of this without talking about Elvis Foo, which mm. I believe might be the most racist Chinese character since Mickey Rooney started. You guys keep talking. You guys keep talking. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got Gerald Okamura, who is uh, who, who was just pre- massively prevalent in loads of movies like this round the round about that time, and that it very occasionally popped up in stuff like Hot Shots Part Deux, where he was the um, he was the referee in the, the the pit fight. Oh my god! Yeah, he was. Yeah, I even. I know I'd seen him in a lot of um, martial arts films. I'm pretty sure he is the guy with the guns in the Big Trouble in Little China alleyway fight scene. Yes, yes, he is. He's there as well. Um, but yeah, he he pops up and he is, like you say, like the worst possible Elvis impersonator um, outside of 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Um, but he... <laughs> He is also this horrible Chinese stereotype that throughout the whole thing is spouting these Confucius-style um, nuggets of wisdom and then just ogling boobs. Yeah, it was uh, it was a very baffling character, but I guess it does answer the question of what role won't Al Leong take? <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Although I said that, talking about Al Leong, he never really tended to do much, which required an awful lot of dialogue. He he just needed to kind of stand there with a gun, kind of looking a little bit menacing. I think the most did I did I miss a discussion on some incredible deep plot points of this movie? We will really cover. We were talking about Elvis Fu, and then we just rounded it out to that's basically a part that Al Leong wouldn't take. Oh, yeah, okay. You know what? You guys covered that one for sure. <laughs> That's about yeah, accurate. Pretty much, yeah. So, <clears throat> obviously, for Jonas, and I guess for Steve as well, the main reason I saw this movie, because Buff Bagwell was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> for you know, all of about 30 seconds. No, for he's the main villain. Yeah, but he, he he shows up in like about three scenes, gets his ass beaten three of them, and then just spends the rest of his time just going, ah, I'm in an ill-fitting suit. That's all that actually also explains his wrestling career for the most part. <laughs> you know, I, I, I talk shit, but I actually liked uh, I liked uh, Buff Bagwell during his time in WCW. Uh he was that poor guy, he got so fucked. When he moved to WWE for one oh, night, just for one just for one night, he got completely fucked, and they were just like, "Oh, you are fired!" All right, 
Yeah, and he's had he's had a lot of trouble. He's he's had a, a recent relapse, and he's currently in rehab at the moment. We wish well. He is Marcus. doing a lot better. He is doing a lot better in rehab, which is great. Yes, um, we're hoping you're listening to this, Marcus, because I know you're on my Facebook. Uh, so we're hoping that you'll delve into this, maybe even come on the show to tell us some stories about Day of the Warrior and Return to Savage Beach as well. But the main One thing. thing I wanna- I do want to say this about Marcus Bagwell. One thing that is cool about him is that, um, like, I don't know if anybody follows him, like, recently, you know, before yeah. he'd went into rehab and stuff, is he has a great sense of humor, like, is about himself, Mr. about Rogers? his career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he does. He has a great, uh, really good sense of humor about, he's very self-aware, and um, I'm I'm team Buff Bagwell all the way. So, I, uh, you know, I hope I hope he, I hope he gets everything straight. Yeah, I mean, there are some things I would be dying to ask him uh, on this film, like the uh, reading the plot of a mirror. There is a scene <laughs> where he is basically like doing either doing his war paint or he's cleaning his war paint up. You can tell he is reading a really complicated piece of dialogue off the mirror. He is uh, clearing his makeup off, and which is fine because he's got to talk about basically the the entire plot of his character you know which is you know i I mean i love a villain that wears face paint and has has frosted tips in his hair at the same time (laughs) you don't get that in a lot of movies uh so his character is, is a native american pro wrestling criminal mastermind so that is way too many descriptions for that part that's yes. way too many descriptions. Yes. Uh, in this film, though, for nefarious schemes, he actually spends more time oiling himself than he does in any form of evil scheme in this movie. But I have to mention this. Do you feel like Chris Chavez Tatanka saw that part and was like, what the fuck, dude? I'm right here. Like, <laughs> do you feel like he saw that movie and he was just like, really, you didn't even call me? Like, this has been my entire thing the whole time. <laughs> uh, Chris Chavez, he's never done any other role in his career. He's he's lived he's lived that role and he's still doing it now. I, mean, I think he's up for love of wrestling soon as well, Steve. Mm. Oh, he yeah. is. We'll he is some money. Dude, he is and will forever be Tatanka. Like there's, I love that they bring him back like every six years and they're like, you know what? You're going to wrestle for like six months on TV. And then for some reason you're going to get fired. I don't know why. (laughs) Once you realize you've only got two moves. Right. Um, I love the fact that the character of warrior is into so many terrorist acts like diamond theft and all stuff like that. But they also throw in the fact that he pirates porn movies. (laughs) (laughs) No. That was to be the fair, weirdest to be detail fa- that the movie took. To be fair, in 1996, that was a particularly evil act. Like, today, you can accidentally pirate a porn movie just by clicking on the wrong thing by one letter. But in 1996, like, you had to fucking try. Like, you had to really try to pirate porn films. I just see all of these, like, all of these different areas. And at one point, I sat up and said, holy shit. He's Cobra Commander. What? Yeah. <laughs> so he basically, if you have a G.I. Joe cartoon, Cobra Commander had some of the worst schemes in the world, including the one where he made the dread, was it the dreadnoughts become a rock band <laughs> to basically yeah. hypnotize the youth of America. 
Yeah, but did he ever want to pirate pornography, though? <laughs> Dude. I've had a wonderful seen, idea! Have you seen Cobra Commander? You know that he pirates porn. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the fuck do you think he's doing underneath that hood? Come on. <laughs> I'm going to bankrupt the porn valley outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, he, I bet he runs that uh, infamous warehouse out in the valley that houses all of the porn in the world. Oh, are you talking about the Kink Castle that's out in uh, that's out in the San Francisco Valley? I I didn't know that, Jonas, yeah. but now I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a place called the Kink Castle that's from kink.com. Uh, I'm assuming not a sponsor, guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, but no, they have an entire place called the Kink Castle, and it's their headquarters, and it is legitimately a castle full of sex toys. It is wild. One of my really one of my good friends used to be the tour guide there, and she has the best fucking stories ever about that place. You wouldn't know really where to sit down, would you? No, no, no. You never know. You never know what's going to be on that seat. And I'm no. not talking. I'm not talking DNA here. I'm talking about actual apparatuses. You have no idea what's going to be on those things. <laughs> so, do you have an address on that? We can throw out that to anyone <laughs> in the San Francisco area. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love Mark Buff Bagwell in this. He's he's really he's actually giving probably one of the better performances out of the entire cast and that includes the two pen and teller style goons that are uh was it computer whizzes or whatever they are that are also henchmen yeah who have that magnificent talking about how their stocks are performing scene that goes on for about five minutes where they just detail every single stock investment they've made and how it's gone horribly wrong and it's not just kind of like a yo we need to do something fast. All our investments have tanked. It's like, okay, no, we need to do we need to do crimes because our investments in silicon enterprises has dropped down 13.2%. And if you compare that against our southern portfolio, and it just goes <laughs> on and on. Until Cobra Commander comes in like, you should invest in crypto. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wait, Tell are you Elon Musk? No, I'm not list. Elon Musk. <laughs> You got to invest just, in co- you got to invest in Cobra Coin. That's what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> they should have just named those characters Tilmax and Zaymart and made them twins. Yeah, there's shit ponytail in his buzz cut. Uh, but God damn it! Now I want Julia Strain to play Baroness. That's what I want. I want that movie in my timeline. It'll never happen now, but <laughs> oh, th- this could actually be a secret GI Joe movie we do not know about. Oh fuck! It could be. You have to oh my god, it. what if that's the timeline we're in? What if that it is? They were just like, no, dude, we sold the rights to it. <laughs> <laughs> Tomax and Zayn are setting up a fake pawn shoot. So that Has- basically- Hasbro-, Hasbro is going to watch this episode and be like, you're shitting on our greatest movie. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your greatest movie was G.I. Joe the movie. All the stuff you made afterwards was terrible. Um, Battleship. Yeah, that was a good idea. <laughs> So the fake porn shoot, where you basically have the the male and female scorpion and whatever his name is, Sub Zero. Uh, Come on, keep yeah, it going. It's probably a Sub Zero, <laughs> Scorpion and Rainbow Dash. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Scorpion displays all of the acting masterclass of a game show hostess on a local TV network. 
she the way she walks in front of the camera is almost like a game show hostess that would be with Bruce Forsyth back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Play your cards right. We're stand there. I'm expecting her to like start showing off the uh, the prize. <laughs> I love the scene before then though, where they're saying, "Okay, we need to go down to this. We need to go down to the studio." Where we have to pretend to be porn stars, and her, her, her male colleagues are going, Yeah, let's get ourselves ready. And then just starts like thrusting in front of the <laughs> like the most, the driest air fucking ever. Like, just, <laughs> there's not just not even a bit of moisture in that. Like, it's uh, just the driest. What's even more crazy is that this film has actual adult film stars in it, and, like, <laughs> this whole scene is just a catastrophe for people that are in that fucking business. Like, they could have walked on scene and be like, dude, no. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, this is where it gets back to what you were saying. This feels like it should be a softcore porn film. It feels like there should have been a proper like five minute long boinking sequence between those two in the middle of this movie. The fact that you called it boinking is going to sit with me for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh. Uh, we haven't even covered here the, uh, the extensive range of other villains that we have. So we have Manuel, whose acting ability is the most questionable out of a movie of bad acting ability, or as um, my fiance said, it looks like if you ordered John Morrison out of Wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love John Morrison, but his movies are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I do love John, but come on, <laughs> yeah, his his accent was just. It, it it was the least convincing Spanish accent that I've heard in a very very long time. I love that they I love I, that I, they they took this movie and they had people that had certain races and they were just like no fuck that we're hiring people that are exactly not that. Like, yeah. that's what they did with everybody that needed to have any kind of a race that was you know not white. They were like listen I know that this there's probably. A bunch. Just there's probably a whole lot of Spanish people in Texas or wherever the fuck it is they actually film this. They're just like, we're gonna get the worst. Let's do that. Let's get the worst, <laughs> the worst accent possible. It, yeah, but then it does have. You end up then with the them compounding that when you do look at people like Gerald Okamura, who's coming in. He's an Asian actor, and then they just ramp him up. To just like the the worst possible Chinese stereotype that you could possibly go for, like n- there's nothing in between. There's no levels of subtlety. He's just oh. proper in there. Confucius say you do this, that kind of that kind of level. Yeah, he was a walking Fu Manchu mustache. <laughs> you know, which sucks. <laughs> like, like what the fuck are you doing? Come on. Like, uh. There's an entire scene here shot on Rodeo Drive that you can tell had no permits to shoot on Rodeo Drive because it is the most obvious camera in a bag (laughs) style of directing. Which I do love sometimes. I do love sometimes. And I have done that myself. Yeah. I I want to tell you a side story on this just because you brought up the camera in the bag situation. 
uh awesome horror director uh larry fassenden oh yeah um, larry, yeah yeah he did the movie depraved um which is his frankenstein movie um which was filmed all in new york it was filmed in new york it was a micro budget type thing um not depraved deranged um it's called deranged um but uh he filmed a scene in the met with a camera in a bag but what's hilarious is that he filmed the scene while the dude that played frankenstein was in his full frankenstein makeup so he had to do it fucking quick (laughs) <laughs> like super quick because like if i remember correctly when he was doing the q a i think it's illegal to film in the met like without permits and everything like that so they just fucking went in their gorilla style filmed the scene for like 30 seconds and they got the fuck out of there like and he was he was talking about it because he said as soon as we walked in there and as soon as like one person noticed that this dude was in frankenstein makeup they were like wait a minute there's something fucky going on here and they gave him side eye and they were like oh gotta go <laughs> Now, you see, if that was Hollywood Boulevard, no one would question that shit. No. God, no. Because I have, when I used to travel on the Metro, on the Gold Line, uh, to then switch over to the Red Line, going to meetings in LA, uh, you would see all of the costume people for Hollywood Boulevard would be getting trained. So it's the only time you'd see fucking Batman get on there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I saw two Spider-Mans fighting. Over who gets to sell their CD. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah. We see that in we see that in New York and Times Square a lot. You'll see an Elmo get in a fight with a Wolverine, but the Wolverine is like in that like uh it's in the um the suit that has like the fake muscles in it that are made of like mattress foam. Yeah. So like you'll see this um actually pretty fat Wolverine uh getting in a fight with <laughs> with an Elmo. All the and while the like, naked cowboys just watching on yeah. drumming along, yeah. strumming along. And the thing that's funny about LA is if you get anywhere near the Chinese theater, you can see all sorts of knockoff, yeah. uh, knockoff properties getting a fist fight. It's just it's so fun to watch. It's just like, oh, they didn't make enough money to not fight today. That sucks. <laughs> uh, okay, are we actually going to touch on the exploding owl? Oh, that thing that. <laughs> That was they, they. They could have done so much with that. They could have got some stock footage of an owl, or they could have got like an actual taxidermied owl, and then and maybe and they maybe rotated it. Maybe have even got in touch with someone at uh, an aviary and got a genuine owl. They could have done so many things other than what they did, which was just go down to the nearest toy shop and buy just the shittiest kid's owl that you could possibly imagine, and then stick a broom up its ass. Okay, that's accurate, but to be fair, it could have been worse. And I say that because I've seen the movie Birdemic, okay? (laughs) So you could have been been worse. (laughs) I think I probably would have gone with the CG plugin instead of whatever the hell that thing was. That was that was adorable that you called Birdemic Bird CG because that's not what that was. That was fucking <laughs> that was clip art that was put on a fucking screen. That's <laughs> at least they had the at least they had the forethought to go down to a store and give a likely local business some money and be like, you know what, we need a toy owl that we're going to explode. We need that. So here's five dollars or whatever. You know, I can just picture them just going up to some poor old lady whose pet owl has died and gone, yeah we're gonna need this now what are you gonna do with it oh we'll take it to a good home 
we're going to make sure he doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> <laughs> then she has to see this movie and be like, that's what they did to my baby. <laughs> and, oh my God, I'm watching this movie. Ah! <laughs> Fucking dude, the exploding owl actually is one of my favorite parts of it, just because out of the rest of it, like <clears throat> the rest of the movie, just like you can see that they at least tried to do certain things. This one, they just didn't give a fuck. They were just like, yeah. we don't care if it's a toy. We don't care. There's like, we're not even going to try to hide the fact that it's this. Yeah. And uh, Manuel's uh, uh, lady, uh, she is just, just got such a hard on for that owl and its destruction. Yeah. She just, she's, she's just got it in for everything in that movie, hasn't she? There is nothing in that film apart from Manuel himself that she's got any kind of time for. Because everything is like, you bastard, you fuck you. I'm going to do that. Fucking owl. <laughs> to be fair, it's probably because she has to fuck Manuel and hear him with that accent the whole time. <laughs> I'd be pretty mad. I'd be pretty mad at the world, too. <laughs> if that was the car, if that was the cards that I was dealt in life, I'd want to kill everything around me, too. I'd just be pissed off the whole time. Fuck He's that a- owl. Bang. <laughs> Later at the end, though, when she gets the chance to actually kill someone. She does. She she doesn't do it. She just like hides behind the door, and he thinks she's going to properly whack someone. She just looks him in the face and just goes tap, and then Bonk. they just go sp- spark out. Somebody should recut this movie, and they should put Batman television show sound effects into a lot of the things because they oh, would fit yeah. perfectly. Oh yeah, yeah. Zip, bang, <laughs> biff, whack. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just tell the character names. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Every Penguin, time one of the, the octopus, uh, every time yeah. one of the guns, this is also something that I noticed throughout the whole movie, and I thought it might have been because the length that I watched was like a little off center or like you know a little off, um, whatever you want to put, like it wasn't synced up properly. But like a lot of times when they shoot the guns, like the sound does not go along with the actions that the gun is shooting. Like it just yeah. The sound, the sound engineering on it was just dog shit. It was like a dude woke up hungover and he was like, I got some fucking gun sounds for you. And mm. just like threw it on there. And it was, uh, they don't even fit, guy. They don't. Is that <laughs> like the scene when uh, she takes his like walking cane, whatever it is, and turns it into a fucking blow dart gun and explodes the place with it? <sighs> <laughs> Nothing <laughs> can be said. No, that nothing can be said. That was such a beautiful sentence for like '90s action movies. Yeah. <laughs> he stole his walking cane and then turned it into a blowgun that blew everything up. It's not even <laughs> if it's not even as if he said, "Oh, I've got this walking cane that can be used as a thing." No, she, she just, just knew that. She just knew it. She just <laughs> takes it off him, twists the end, <laughs> puts the dart in, and then this all of a sudden there's a trigger on it. She it, it could have been his granddad's for all he knew. Maybe maybe there was a part cut out. Like maybe this is there's like it's in the in the whoever the director is of the, uh, yeah, maybe it's in the Sedaris cut where it's just like, oh no, 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 that was actually her walking cane from a long time ago. She's like, Oh fuck, I found it. That's my blow dart gun. <laughs> That's my blow dart cane. <laughs> Yeah, I've not seen this since I was 15 years old. Hopefully, there's still one in the chamber. (laughs) (laughs) But it does play back to an earlier scene where she explains that everything she holds in her hand explodes. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) as soon as you said that, the the sax music that played whenever there was any woman on screen. 
just popped into my head. <laughs> Did you rewind also, that quite a few times? Yeah. Also, that's why there's a particular lack of hand jobs in the movie. So <laughs> <laughs> this is why that whole softcore porn angle that you were talking about is why it doesn't exist. <laughs> that's yes. why. Because everything she puts in her hand explodes and you can't show that in an R-rated movie. <laughs> that, that also has a downside, though. Can you imagine what it'd be like when they were actually making love? Next thing you know, he just explodes. He just this fireball of viscera. Yeah, I mean, listen, don't kink shame people. <laughs> Whatever they're into. <laughs> it would be like something out of Mortal Kombat, wouldn't it? Oh. Yeah, I feel no like there's gonna, if there's going to be a sex scene that's directed by Brian Usna, it's that sex scene. Yeah, <laughs> no wet patch, just a little pile of soap. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, actually, if it's Brian Usna, it's going to be a lot of wet parts. <laughs> and a face coming out of the anus. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, and Steve's just like, really, what are we talking what? about here now? <laughs> it's a movie called Society. It will come on what's in the box at some point. Oh okay. yeah, if you've never seen Society, I can't wait for Steve's reaction to the shunting. Uh, when that one comes on, Jonas, you're joining us just to see the pure look of terror on his face. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh okay. man, St- Steve needs to be baptized by Yuzna. He needs to see the he needs to see the catalog. Definitely <laughs> yeah. Society though. Yeah. Okay, I'm slightly scared now. He's one of the godfathers of body horror, and it's beautiful. It's because he's he he loves the wet, gross things, and he puts those in all of his movies. So it's fun. Okay. It's truthfully fun horror. So we kind of covered this uh, a little bit earlier on, but this movie really is spends a lot of time on a how to load weapons angle because you don't just see a simple reloading of a weapon it goes into great detail to show you how these weapons are loaded badly but we should put that part very badly <laughs> yeah if arlie ermy was alive and saw those right now <laughs> he would be he would go full full metal jacket and just like scream at them this made dale die so angry he went and bombed a village <laughs> <laughs> Oh fuck! But not really, that. I'm not even a gun guy, and even I know that they fucked up on that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they this happens a lot in movies where people shoot more than the number of bullets that are in the gun all the time. All the time, it, it's been happening for ages. Except in this movie, I don't even think the word reload was ever in any of their vocabulary. Because you've got like mm-hmm. you've you've got like one scene where the the blonde guy uh, re- reloads a revolver. That's it. it just once. Rest, just once. The rest of the time, he's got infinite ammo. He's got the cheats on. Yeah, he's in god mode. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite weapons to see never reloaded is a revolver because it's like there's no way to like skate around that. It's like, dude, revolvers don't have. 18 bullets like what are you doing <laughs> like you didn't even step off screen to fucking reload that thing you've just been shooting the whole time <laughs> they don't even care because <laughs> like the ones the ones that have like a magazine like you can at least get away with that like you can at least kind of be like ah there was more bullets in there than you thought you don't know about gun magazines mm-hmm. but a revolver it's just like it's right fucking there like you can't there's nothing there's no way to do it yeah 
Yeah, because I've I've seen uh, videos of of guys like um, Gianna Reeves did one when he was uh, in training for John Wick Two, and he was on an obstacle course, and they were showing him with the rifle up, and as soon as he ran dry, then it smooth move eject the cartridge, slam a new yeah. one in, cock the weapon, and get back to it. So you can do it sure. in a pretty smooth move. But yeah, right. revolvers, no. And see, if you're talking like John Wick, if you run out of bullets, you can just throw a hatchet at somebody's face and then jump on a horse and yeah. use that as a weapon. So <laughs> it's just fucking great. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of movie, though, that would take that scene in Hot Shots Part 2 where Charlie Sheen runs out of ammo and just throws the bullets at people. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. is what would happen in this film. <laughs> Fuck, maybe this is a sequel to that. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> There's so many movies this could be. <laughs> This is purely a movie where Andy Sedaris is just showing off what he bought from the proceeds of his previous movie. It's true, actually. That sounds yeah. very accurate. So I bought a speedboat. I bought this Ferrari. I bought all of these guns. Yeah. I bought. I bought all of these Playboy playmates, and uh, he has a fascination with planes taking off. In fact, the entire movie. I, I honestly think if you took out of all of the weapons being reloaded and all of the shots that show how people get to where they're going to, this movie would be 17 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing that he also put in there and seems to have a thing for a white vehicles. Cause you say that he had a Ferrari. Okay. He shows off the Ferrari. It's a great shot, but then there's one, there's one bit later on where two of the agents are leaving the building and he goes, which, which cars, uh, the, the Chiefs. Oh, it's that white one over there. And then they pan to it, and there's just a row of white cars. And then you suddenly realize, oh, wait, all of the other vehicles in this movie are white to some degree. The Jeep at the very beginning, white. The cars that they go to the pawn set in, they're white. They're all white cars. Which is the most non-camouflage vehicle in the existence of non-camouflage vehicles? Yeah. Like, if you're going to be driving any vehicles around any kind of, I guess you can call it a war zone, inconspicuous, a white vehicle is not. <laughs> no, not in the slightest. <clears throat> no, no, it's it's, it, it's kind of one of those movies that I think also, like you were saying about what Sedaris did, I think also, like, there's, okay, so there's, like, vanity projects. I don't know if this this is definitely not a vanity project. There's no way this is a vanity project if this no, was the he'd final be result. In it, if it was right, and like so, this movie, it kind of felt like he played supermarket sweep, but it was for an entire strip mall, and then he was just like, <laughs> "Now I got to make a movie with all the shit I bought." <laughs> like, it just—it was such a random, just fucking. <laughs> assortment of things in this movie that are just like there's like four different movies going on at one time here yeah it's like okay so i've got this gold plastic buddha now what can i do with this it's like quick it's legends of the hidden temple i need to get a child to put these three pieces together (laughs) i think he just walked down the center aisle of aldi and just took everything yeah, there's nothing just, nothing brand name at all. It's just fucking just a bunch of Aldi stuff. That's why the revolver has so many bullets in it. It's off brand. But Steve, I know that you have noted some other points down here that I have forgotten to mention today. What have we got? 
Oh, God. Well, one thing that I would like to mention is uh, the main bad guy. Uh, Ted, uh, no. The the main bad guy, played by Ted Pryor. Is that a guy who looks like a mixture between Patrick Bateman from American Psycho <laughs> and <laughs> Willem Dafoe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does a better job of actually being a bad guy than Buff Bagwell does. Because Buff Bagwell, to his credit, he's not an actor. He's, he's a wrestler. And he does what he does well, but most of his scenes involve him fighting with someone. And there's that whole scene with him. The wrestling match. The the wrestling match, which you were talking about She-Hulk. That's She-Hulk at that wrestling match. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But then you've got Ted Pryor as as the, the undercover agent in Lethal. And he is just the most obvious mole that you can ever possibly see. He looks permanently constipated throughout this whole thing with that bad guy <laughs> kind of, mm, yes, I'm up to evil schemes, but no one can know this. Mm, kind of look about look about him. and It's like when a 35-year-old shows up in a high school, you're like, you're a fucking narc. You're not a, <laughs> <laughs> you're not a senior. <laughs> So do all the kids still do marijuana? <laughs> I get brought some quaaludes, children. Like, get out of here, old dude. <laughs> I love nobody him. even I has don't... those. Nobody even has those drugs anymore. Who are you? <laughs> Wait, are you living in the eighties still? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I thought he was a much. I thought he was a much more intimidating bad guy than the warrior. You know, I, I thought the warrior was he was even the fact that he was doing wrestling and everything. He was too flamboyant. He he didn't have any kind of nastiness really about him. He he like hit one guy over the head, kind of knocked him out. Then the rest of the time, he's just being he's up to some wacky stuff. Yeah, but but no one really dies in this movie, especially from explosions that would burn you to a crisp. You just come out looking like Daniel Stern in Home Alone when he touches yeah. the electric tabs. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing as well. The, the two henchmen, they get blown to pieces and yet they're just stood there with blackened faces and the hair and the, the strategically ripped clothes to show that they're just, just soot. Like, yeah. Just soot. It's because they went to one of those really shitty firework stands that doesn't sell actual fireworks. They just sell smoke bombs and snakes. And they were just <laughs> like, ah, we got to the bad one. Damn it. <laughs> Run by the guy with three fingers and an eye yeah. patch. They right, bought right. fireworks on the 5th of July. Yeah. Yeah, they won't let me sell the real stuff. <laughs> no. Now, also, that wrestling, the wrestling match was such a random thing. Like, it was so randomly placed. And it was like, do you guys remember the uh, the game Final Fight? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Okay, so you remember in Final Fight when all of a sudden you're fighting a dude in a wrestling ring with a sword? And you're like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Like. <laughs> Why are there ropes? That guy has a helmet and a sword. What is going on? <laughs> that's how random. That's how random that felt in this movie. It was just like, what the fuck? All right, <laughs> like uh, that. That had to be a request from Marcus. Is there any way that when you kind of look at this movie, all of every single character has their own little thing that they seem to be an expert at? Like the one guy who's the does the rollerblading <laughs> along like Venice Beach, oh. and he, he's. And Why didn't that everyone... guy die? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of them seem to have these little kind of specialties, which was the reason why they probably got the job. He's the rollerblading so... guy's specialty was being an asshole. 
That's what that was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Look at all the bibs, man. Take your this... wheels and get the fuck out of my face. Get out of here. <laughs> I, I think this was, this was before that instantly rollerblade killing joke came out. Like, what was the worst thing? What's the worst thing about rollerblades? Was it admitting to your parents you're gay? And then everybody just <laughs> yeah. completely dropped rollerblades the next week Listen, when that joke came out. I will say this. Uh, you know, obviously Louis C.K. had all of his problems and everything, but he has a joke about a rollerblading guy where he was like, I was walking to my dog down the street and a guy rolled by me in rollerblades with long flowing hair, short shorts, and no shirt on. And I had to pause my day to hate that guy. Like I had to stop. <laughs> I, he's like, I had to stop walking my dog and be like, God damn it. I know that guy exists now. Like, uh, like he's like, I had to concentrate on hating that guy when he flew past me with his hair waving in the wind. He's like, you piece of shit. Uh. Well, it's, speaking of hair, his mate was the exact opposite. His mate had that, and this is only... The Seagal ponytail? Yeah, with the bald <laughs> hair. Yeah, the skullet tail. Yeah, skullet tail. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's the fucking it's the Paul Heyman special. <laughs> but it was when he was poly dangerously, if we're being clear here. Like yeah, yeah. as Paul Heyman, he's cut off the ponytail, but Polly dangerously rocked that skullet tail like a fucking boss. Oh yeah. He rolled around ECW with that thing, just not giving a shit. Like it was great. <laughs> there is there is one line though that I would like to bring uh, a little bit of attention to. And this this just this just kind of broke me when it came on. Um, I think it I think it was the bit where they were they were driving around and they're trying to. The, I think they were him, uh, Willow, and uh, and Fu were searching for something, and they're driving around, and then they come to one area and go, ah, oh, this used to be a sleepy little town, and now look at it, you're in Vegas. Dude, fucking Henderson, Nevada is not even a sleepy little town. Yeah, you're in goddamn Vegas. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was... Okay, listen. There's multiple places actually named, named Vegas and named Las Vegas. So maybe it was Las Vegas, New Mexico. Maybe it was. We don't know. We don't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like saying I'm going to go I'm going to take you to Paris, honey, and then you go to Paris, Texas. It's like, yeah, you piece of shit. How why you fucking bamboozled me is what you did. <laughs> like you yeah. took me to the wrong one. I'm going I'm going to take you to the Sand Dune Casino. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take you to Augustus's palace. Mm. We're going to take you to the Fool's Golden Nugget. That's what it's yes. going to be. And to the Trump Taj Mahal. Oh, shit. Uh oh. I love that in Atlantic City, New Jersey, they basically just demolished everything that had Trump's name on it. They're just like, listen, even we fucking hate this guy. And they just <laughs> destroyed everything. <laughs> oh, God. I love the one of the, uh, what was it? The. Because Florida have had all these this hurricane recently, mm. and someone put a meme up the other day that genuinely made me piss myself laughing. <laughs> and it was uh, a picture of the hotel that um, Donald Trump is living in, I guess nowadays. Mira Lago. Yeah, and what what was the name of the hurricane? Hurricane Ian, wasn't it? Yeah. It said you had one fucking job, Hurricane Ian. One fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> One job. You had one job. 
you know it's kind of funny doing stand-up during that period of time uh it was like it was one of those things that i never liked to approach because i don't i usually don't approach politics in my in my humor um but i was doing a joke during his presidency because in new york city they had an art installation it actually happened in multiple different um, big cities where they put a trump uh, trump statue in the middle of one of the biggest areas of new york city union square and it was fully naked and it had a micro penis and people would go and take pictures like next to the micro penis and they would be like throwing up like peace signs and shit and it was just like it was hilarious and i remember during that time i was like i hope that that statue is accurate because i don't want that guy walking around the white house with big dick confidence on top of how crazy he is <laughs> like i hope that he has just the tiniest dick in the world I hope every time he goes to like nuke something, he gets like some bully in the back of his head. That's like, you have a tiny dick. And he's like, I can't hit the button. Like, I just, I wish, I hope that was the case. I don't think he's Lyndon Johnson somehow. (laughs) You don't Uh, think he's rocking a Milton Berle? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, One thing that I would like to touch on as well, because I think we're getting into kind of like the, the dregs of this now there's there's the one moment where the two agents are staking out the warriors compound and the best double that take you call it a compound the <laughs> compound in inverted commas and it's the best double take in the entire film <laughs> where they see the digger that is almost on top of them that neither of them heard coming <laughs> how could you miss it oh fuck you can tell that they you ask how, how could they miss it, but then you realize, oh wait, because the sound engineer hadn't mixed up the sound of the engine properly in it yet. Right. It's like I had the boom mic cover on wrong. So I'm sorry, you guys. You just couldn't hear it coming yeah. the whole time. <laughs> I you feel like the sound engineer got yelled at in the back, like, dude, really? Really? You couldn't even mic that one up? Like they're just like not nothing the whole time. Uh. But the main the main issue that this movie has got more than anything else is it spends so long establishing characters and establishing the scenes that it fails to actually connect those scenes to the main plot of the film. Like it establishes a diamond and then they get stolen. Then those diamonds disappear completely until right at the very end. You want to know what happened to the diamonds? What was the importance of having the diamonds? Why why are there diamonds? No, there's diamonds there so that a diamond dealer can get killed by the killer that then has to go after Cobra. There was like four different villainous schemes going on at this parallel to each other. It was almost like there was three different movies playing at the same time. Yeah, they didn't know what to Maybe they were just shooting three different movies and then just paste them all together because you had the diamond heist. You had uh, the computer mainframe being hacked so that all of their agents would uh, would be discovered. And the question I raised then is like, hang on a minute. The boss of the agency doesn't even know where their agents are. How are these yeah. guys going to find? There's a good portion of the movie trying to find their own agents i've got to kind of question that division yeah it's it, it's it's an obvious one but then again i don't really think you come into a movie like this expecting it to make a huge helping of of 
uh, cohesion. I oh, legitimately no, it, don't remember a plot. No, and I wish I like I wish I was talking shit when I say that, but I don't. Oh, I don't remember. Sorry. I don't remember any plot to it at all. Like the diamond thing, I remember that being there, but it's kind of like okay, like all right, I there's nothing. Like I I have no lasting memory of anything that has a cohesive plot line whatsoever in this movie, and I watched it less than 24 hours ago. Like what? I like this is the thing. I've seen it twice now since you've mentioned it to me for this show because I usually have to watch a movie twice to retain stuff. This movie actively made me not retain things. Like <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but this movie was like no matter how hard you try to understand me, it's not going to happen. <laughs> when a, when a movie is harder to get to grips with the memento, you know there's a problem. Oh fuck. That's you know, you know yeah. what that's true. <laughs> and I feel like Mother was more cohesive than this movie. That's a good point to bring up. <laughs> but um the strange thing about it is you're totally engrossed in it, even though you have no idea what's going on, and it feels just like a whole bunch of stuff that is tacked together. Uh, with no thought of how it's going from A to B. It feels like they were just, let's just go and shoot something. And when we get to where we're going, whatever is there will make it work. And I'm now interested in seeing it again for the G.I. Joe parable. But I know this is a thing that I will end up watching again and still enjoying, even though I have no idea what is going on with it. I enjoyed every second of the movie. Yeah. And now that, now that you bring up the diamond thing again, I think it's actually a prequel to Uncut Gems. And that's actually the diamond that they... <laughs> it's the diamond so, that's uh, up Adam Sandler's ass in the beginning of that movie. <laughs> well, I think that may be the case of the guy... When Cobra goes to Rodeo Drive and she walks into that place into the back office with that guy, that actually could be Adam Sandler. <laughs> you know it could be this could be a happy madison production we don't know and then i want to know exactly I, I still don't know who the guy in the balaclava who just casually walks around the shelving and shoots him in the head i feel like that has to be somebody that is in sedaris's inner circle you know what i mean like it's like a james franco seth rogan situation where like if you're watching either one of those movies one of those dudes just may show up in the background and be like oh he was the one with the beard on his face that was uh, that was ju- that was james this time you know or something it's got to be just his friend i'm just hoping that's the person who won the day of the warrior sweepstake and it was like right you get a role in the movie put this balaclava on and walk really unconvincingly around uh the shelving units to shoot this guy uh, he was also the same one that uh, tried to kill Cobra. A couple uh, of scenes you know, later, I, I, I complete the guy who looks yeah. like Paul Giamatti. Yeah, <laughs> he's, I he's totally a, forgot that character was in it. Yeah, he's the I same mean. person. There's so many characters in this movie. You forget ones that just show up and then get disposed of with no logic of who they are. I don't know who that guy is now to this day, or what he played into the plot at all other than the fact that he would just go and shoot people i wish it was paul giamatti just so he could be like oh look at that pig vomit tried to kill cobra yeah (laughs) 
that would have been a great way. Now, how did you start your career? Well, I was in an Andy Sedaris film and I had to wear a balaclava for most of it. <laughs> and then I played Rhino in Spider-Man. Oh, <laughs> uh, which is more embarrassing. <laughs> they didn't call me back for No Way Home. No. Listen, you know what's funny about Paul Giamatti is that when you look at his career, he's got some amazing movies, just incredible films and incredible parts. And then Rhino and then Lady in the Water. Like, you're just like, what the fuck happened there? Like, like you weren't hurting for work, dude. Like, somebody was just <laughs> like, here, we have a piece of shit script for you. And he's like, fucking sweet. Like, <laughs> Who do you owe money to, Paul? Tell us. Right. <laughs> Who did you lose a bet with? Show me on the bank account where it touched you. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, if he would have looked at the comic book character of Rhino and then looked at his own physique and go, how is this working? Oh, we're going to no. give you a giant robot Rhino suit. I'm in. We're like, okay, listen, you're going to be Krang, but you're going to be a Rhino. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody in the writer's room pulled out a gun and killed themselves <laughs> as soon as they said that. <laughs> Yeah, it was a single gun and there were 18 people there. It was a revolver, exactly. yeah. <laughs> they just passed it around. They were like, just no, your turn. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've got the infinite ammo cheat. It's fine. That's yeah, fine. No big deal. In fact, you'll come back later. We're going to have regeneration in there too. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it. Uh... This movie, this with... movie definitely did feel like a low-budget Call of Duty video game put to a movie screen. <laughs> like, just it was one of those things where it was just like, it's like one of those first-person shooters that's glitched. So you just start going yeah. around, just shooting random shit. Like I don't know why that rock exploded, but fucking cool. <laughs> like, I oh god, when was it now? There was a, I I think it might have been for Duke Nukem or something like that. There was a parody game of Call of Duty made. And it was called Duty Calls, and it was a short, it was a short demo thing, and it just no Bullet Storm. That was it, Bullet Storm. Oh yeah, yeah. Bullet Storm's uh, a real game. Oh no, Bullet the Bullet Storm's a real game, but they made yeah. like a parody of Call of Duty and all of that stuff. That was just like a short one level demo thing that you could download on PC, and it was just mocking all of the tropes that you could possibly hope to find in a Call of Duty title up to that point. I feel like if it was called Duty Calls, that had to be a game where you were fighting your way through a battlefield to find a toilet so you didn't shit your pants. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, I would play that parody game all day long. It would just be great. <laughs> but you can use the shed that they use as the uh, little hideout in this, couldn't you? You could, you could. But if it's too powerful, it might explode. So you just got to be careful. That's how everybody knows. It's like, dude, he ate the bad fish. The shack exploded. <laughs> yeah. Who does number two work for? <laughs> All right. So in closing out on Day of the Warrior, because I have tortured you both enough this week, and, you know, Jonas tried to get out of it by literally, like, falling off a, a curb or whatever. I tried to break my ankle and it just sprained. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. I, I, th I think I could just imagine you just looking at the trailer of this going, oh, fuck, how can I get out of this? Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was about to call Kathy Bates and be like, listen, <laughs> I need you to do something to my ankles. <laughs> get out of the hot tub and come over here, please. <laughs> yeah. She'd be waking you up in the middle of the night because she's actually watched half of Day of the Warrior. She just comes in with a sledgehammer. Exactly. She's just like, well, I'm going to break these fucking things for real now. 
<laughs> so in trailing off on Day of the Warrior, um, I think there is so much enjoyment to have from it. And I spoke with Bill Daly last night and was amazed to find out that Bill Daly knows Andy Sidaris or knew Andy Sidaris very well because they worked yeah. at ABC together. And something that amazed me is Andy Sidaris has won an Emmy. Oh, fuck. Working for ABC, he was involved with uh, ABC World of Sports or whatever it was. And uh, So not for scripted drama then? Not for scripted drama, no. but apparently he is the person who came up with uh, the cheerleader honey shot. The, the hmm. what? Jonas, do you know what the cheerleader honey shot is? No, I don't. Okay. Are we back to softcore porn again? Quite be, yeah. Um, the cheerleader honey shot, from what I understand it, and I could be wrong, and anyone is welcome to correct me on it on all of our channels, uh, is when you're watching, say, American football or something like that, you get the sweet shot of a cheerleader, you know, a really yeah, sexy yeah, yeah. cheerleader. So he was the person who established that shot during football games. So you're talking the you're talking the shot that's from underneath, or are uh, you talking the shot where because there's multiple different quote unquote hot cheerleader shots that are like when somebody thinks of you know like filming cheerleaders and stuff. There's the underneath shot, which is super creepy, and open shot. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, it's all satire, I promise. <laughs> It's not really her vagina. Um, so uh, it's either that one or it's the it's like the the ones where they like close up on them and they look they look super hot. So it's one of the two. <laughs> I think you've broken Andy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It's There's okay. No this is where the bugs all crawl out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Verhoeven. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing a German accent again. He's Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Which is so great about it because like that's also like if you if you watch Family Guy, they have a fucking great cutaway scene about Paul Verhoeven. And it is a hundred percent not a Dutch accent. And it's like it's one of those things where it's just like, no, no, it's kind of like what he sounds like. He does. He sounds he sounds German Dutch, but more on the German side, which is very weird. And also his voice sounds like he's constantly blowing helium balloons. Just like <laughs> constantly and i don't know why <laughs> i don't know why he sounds like that <laughs> could you imagine him talking about showgirls in his voice and everybody just being like it sounds like a great idea like what <laughs> yeah and then we get a girl who was in the safe by the bell and she's going to be taking off all her clothes and going jiggy 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 it's going to be fun. it's a robin williams <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, you did. You you went you you vamped a little into Robin Williams there. He's like, no, 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 this is going to be fun. We're going to fuck in the pool. <laughs> We're going to do Craig, it like nobody has ever done. <laughs> Craig McLaughlin's going to be there. It's going to have a lovely time. You'll flop around like a fish. It will be fun. <laughs> this is the roast of Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> <laughs> Your motivation, Elizabeth, you can't be a ragdoll. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, 
And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew as soon as Verhoeven's name came up, I knew it was going to be a bad idea. <laughs> it happens every time, every single time we uh. mention Verhoeven on the show. It's impossible. It's impossible not to make fun of him. Like I wish it was possible. It's not. Ha <laughs> 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 ha! Everybody loves me. <laughs> yeah. It's this, okay. I, I enjoy this movie. Just so you guys know, I enjoy this movie in the same way that I enjoy the room, which means that I will enjoy it forever. Like it's yeah. one of those movies that, like, it is it a catastrophic piece of shit of filmmaking? Yes. But it is so enjoyable in that sense because it's one of those movies that's like, you know, that it's bad. Like on the fucking opening frame, you're like, this is going to suck. Let's fucking go in, you know? And that's cool. That's great. You know, the room was that way when it did a sweeping, uh, sweeping shot in San Francisco. And you're like, that's the full house house. Like you fucking just use stock footage. You didn't even <laughs> fucking film that. You're like, this movie's going to be terrible. I love it. <laughs> I know. I really want to watch this film again with someone that's never seen it before, while drunk. Uh, that that is the way I've always watched it. Uh, I introduced Kate to it, and she loves it because it is so terrible. And the thing about it, Andy Sedaris has done twelve of these films with the same actors in it. But the great thing about it is every one of them, when he does them, the main villain from the one movie comes back in the next one as one of the good guys, not even the same character. <laughs> wow. So it's just incredible. So Marcus Bagwell comes in the next one, which is Return to Savage Beach. And apparently he's the good guy. Are you or fisting it's... me? That's the real name of the fucking movie. Yes. It's a it's a well-known sequel to the classic Savage Beach. Girls of Lethal. <laughs> I would have respected that movie more if it was just Return to Savage Beast or Beach or fuck whatever you just said. If it was Return to that one and there was no first one. It's like, <laughs> if there was no first one and it was just Return to Savage Beach, I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> There's a horror movie called Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 and there is no one and two. Those two movies do not exist, which means that part three is amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. Yes. Well, they, they did that with the Clerks cartoon series. The second episode featured flashbacks to episodes which hadn't even been made. Oh, yeah, yeah. I still have the fucking animated series on, I, uh, on DVD. Yeah, so do I. I love that. That should have gone on for longer. That, that, that actually had quite a little bit of promise going on there. I have to tell you this really quick before we wrap up. I am so much of a completist with my home media um, that I have the Jay and Silent Bob Do Degrassi DVD. And I hate myself for that. Every time I see it on my shelf, I'm like, why the fuck did you have to buy that? Why did you have to spend money on that to put it in your collection? Why did you do that? And then I went all the way back in the View Askew universe and I bought like every single fucking movie that anybody involved with the View Askew thing. This was during my cocaine days. But I just I bought every single one of them. And the one that I will say is the one that I am really happy that I found. It's called A Better Place. And if you've never seen it, it's an indie film. Uh, and you, do you know which one I'm talking about, Andrew? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. This is basically, if it's the one I'm thinking of, A Better Place, I could be wrong here. Uh, is this the one that is basically like um, The Bicycle Thieves? It's the two 
the Spanish father and son who have that truck stolen. Okay, so yes, but it this is, is yeah. okay. So the movie is actually it's from the first. It's basically the first movie that was technically as a Vioskew movie. Right. But it had nothing to do with Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith didn't do anything with it, aside from the fact that he just put it out on the label. But the guy that directed it is Vincent Perriera, yep. um, which I always fuck his name up, I think. Um, but he's he's awesome. Like, I'm friends with him on Facebook. So, Vin, I'm sorry if I fucked your name up. But he's awesome. And he's doing a movie now. He's writing the script for a movie now that I cannot wait for him to actually film called The Back Scratcher. And it is, it's the only other movie. He's never made another movie aside from A Better Place. And so it was one of those ones that I randomly found on DVD because I was like, I got to complete this fucking collection. And then I watched the movie and it's awesome. Like for a movie that's made for a micro, micro budget, I'm telling you, man, if you're like, if you're somebody that's into indie film or like watching how an indie film is made, seek that movie out and watch it because it really shows what you can do to make a really gritty, awesome movie for a very low budget. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. It's cool stuff. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, we've touched on pretty much everything that we can touch on legally mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> within the scope of, uh, of uh, day of the warrior. Um, so I, I just want to do two things. I want to thank, uh, Jonas for joining us once again on this, uh, on these video podcasts. Um, yes. And, uh, I want to say a big up yours to Andy for making me watch this movie in the first place. Um, (laughs) before we go, Jonas, um, what, what have you got coming up? Obviously you've got the podcasts. Uh, yeah yeah um another goddamn horror podcast is uh where you can find me if you specifically want to uh do some horror stuff with me um that's at aghp666 um on all the platforms um also our link tree is l-i-n-k-t-r dot e slash aghp666 and that sends you to where all of our stuff is um, and then as far as comedy goes in Bushwick, Brooklyn, every fourth Thursday of the month, uh, 7 p.m. at the Tiny Cupboard. That is our Tromedy Hour live show. And uh, that basically is just uh, it's a showcase of dark, um, very real subjects that we do comedy about. So we make all the fucked up things into funny things. So that's what we do every month. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. Right. Well. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, for you out there that's been watching this or listening to it, if, you, if you've got the audio version of this, uh, don't forget you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at Pottywood. So get in touch with us because we want to hear what you think about what we've thought about this film. If you've seen... <laughs> I know. I know. There's a lot to process there. But if you see, I, I, I understood the plot of Day of the Warrior better than I did you just then. <laughs> he was just doing Scott Steiner math. That's what that was. <laughs> Fucking I wrestling wish... deep cuts on this one. I swear I to God. No, I wish I knew anything about wrestling. I really do. Uh, you know what? The next time I think we need to get um, Lloyd Anoa'i and Glenn Ruth on this show with Jonas. And just bust out on wrestling for an hour and a half. God, there's plenty of wrestling movies you can talk about. <laughs> plenty. <laughs> Ready plenty to dude, dude, fuck that. No holds barred. 
That's the one that we need to talk about. If we're going to talk about a shitty wrestling movie, that's the one. Okay. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll hold on to that one for next time then. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, you can check us out on uh, at Pottyward, Facebook, Twitter, or you can follow us on our subreddit on Reddit. For now, though, it is a good night from me. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. It's a fucking Paul Verhoeven voice is coming back into my head. I, I was literally going to be like, and it's a good night from Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good night from me. It's a good night from those two. We're going to have a lovely, groovy, sexy, funky time. <laughs> I love that he's doing Dutch jazz hands. <laughs> I love it. We're going, to, we're going to eat some schnitzel, have some pancakes. It's going to be great. <laughs> Paul, Paul, we're filming a movie tonight. No. <laughs> no, we have some sausage. We have some pancakes. <laughs> oh, fuck. I, 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 would, I would love to have seen the behind-the-scenes footage of Paul Verhoeven and Arnold Schwarzenegger doing their audio commentary for Total Recall. God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was, dude, that would be such a fucking Mad Libs <laughs> of a captioning. <laughs> Everybody, like the people that are typing the captions for that would have to be on Coke. They would just be like, I hope I'm doing it right. <laughs> It'll be that point where they're talking and you'll just see question marks come up on the captions. <laughs> Dutch music plays. It's just them talking. <laughs> like, <it's> just... <laughs> and then the very last line is just the uh, the translator just going, fuck this, I'm not paid enough for this. And then that's it. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, I genuinely have stars in front of my eyes from laughing then. Uh, that next watch along might be showgirls, by the way. Dude. <laughs> what a magnificent oh, so... piece of shit that movie is. Oh dear. You know, I don't I've think got... I could last. I heard the greatest story from a friend of mine, Robert Brown, as a producer. And uh he knows Paul he knew Paul Hope. Paul Verhoeven really well. And Paul got, Hogan. Yeah, Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan. Yeah, yeah, Paul Verhoeven really well. That's not a pool. This is a pool. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, story goes. Story goes. <laughs> premiere show girls that night. Um, so they're all watching the film, and uh, Robert and that leave a bit earlier, and that they're standing at the bottom of the stairs where everyone's coming out. And uh, suddenly all the doors open and everyone's just walking out of there completely silent. And Paul Verhoeven comes up to him and says, oh, well, what did, what did you think? <laughs> and Robert says, well, it was a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I feel now, now I can't get Paul Hogan on the fucking on the set of Showgirls out of my head. <laughs> he just walks in like, what are you doing? Nobody fucks like that. <laughs> right. What? Then afterwards, we're going to have ourselves some sausages and some pancakes. <laughs> Strafe. What are these? Watermelons? It's a club, not a patch, love. <laughs> oh, oh, dear oh. Lord. <clears throat> anyway, right. we, we were signing off. We were yeah, about 20 was... minutes ago. Oh, dear. Right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us about any of the issues raised in tonight's program, or complain, then, or the play. <laughs> uh, then you know where to get in, to, in touch with us. Um, 
for now, though, I've been Steve Hester. I've been Andrew Rochikarsen. I'm Jonas Barnes. <laughs> and we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>